Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Rolling with the punches on Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, Brendan and Mikey. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'll be there in a moment. Hey, guess what, church? He is risen. Amen. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Thank you. You're good to go. Hallelujah. 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 This is a special day on the church calendar. Of course, it is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I got my blood of Jesus shoes on, so I'm ready to stomp out some devils today. Come on, that's it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Got to do what you got to do. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you are a guest today, we just thank you so much for joining us in the house of God today. It's going to be a good day. Uh, we're going to see your Easter miracle today because I'm not going to preach long. And um, although I don't always perform miracles when I want to. So, you know, it, it, there's just kind of a give and take in that. We'll find out exactly what the Lord's will is. We'll blame it on him if I go long. So we are today celebrating the resurrection, and if you're, if you're new to church in general, we all know the story, Jesus died for my sins, we hear the, the saying, but I think at times we can kind of lose the context. So before we jump in the scriptures, let me kind of catch us up to where we're at today in the church calendar. We know that uh, Jesus was born, as we confessed in the Apostles' Creed, born of the Virgin Mary. He was born in a town and raised in a town of nobody's and nowhere. Actually, he grew up in a town where they thought nothing good can come from this town. When I was growing up, that town was called Delray. That's where I grew up. Back in the day, nothing good came from Delray, especially the part that I came from. And then Jesus lived his life without sin. And when he turned 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And at that time, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him and the Father spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he told people, listen to him. It's an important thing that we get that message, if nothing else today. Listen to Jesus. If you could turn me down just a hair, not much a hair, because I'm probably going to get louder and I don't want to assault anybody. I believe in healings, but I don't want to cause a need for one. Right. So we just want to preserve hearing if that's all right. And so Jesus, of course, was causing problems for people. Jesus was a bit of a troublemaker, especially if you had power. Jesus caused problems for the powerful. And so uh, they sought to eliminate their problem by eliminating Jesus. So Jesus was put on trial during Holy Week, what we call Holy Week. He was uh, betrayed by one of his key disciples and uh, he was arrested by the Romans at the behest of the Jews. Uh, the Jew, the, the Jewish leaders of the time, not the whole Jewish people, but some of the leaders of the time. Uh, he was then put on trial, falsely convicted for murder, as we have seen happen in this day and age. He was convicted and put to death. But there was something interesting that happened before his, he died. He told his disciples that uh, he would come back from the dead. And uh, that was confusing for his disciples because he was the Messiah, We'll talk more about that later, but in their terms, the Messiah is the one who is in charge of everything. God's representative on earth and that he conquers everything and he'll conquer every enemy. And so Jesus kept talking about he was going to die. And so they thought that was 
allegorical, but Jesus many times said that he would die, but he would come back from the dead. Jesus said this so often that the Romans started taking it literally. So once Jesus was murdered on a cross on what we call Good Friday, they put him in a tomb, a carved out hole in the side of a mountain where his body would decay and then they would later collect his bones. Only problem was Jesus ruins every funeral he goes to, including his own. But the saying was so known that the Romans put guards outside of his tomb and they put a massive boulder in front of it so that nobody could steal the body. The Romans knew the saying that Jesus said, I will come back from the dead and to prevent them from stealing his body and claiming that he rose from the dead. The Romans put guards in front of the tomb. The Bible teaches us in Matthew chapter 28, where we're about to read, it says that on the first day of the week, which of course is Sunday, we come gathered together on Sunday instead of Saturday. The Jews historically gathered on Saturday, which was the last day of the week, the day that God rested. But since Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, we come together on Sundays to celebrate his resurrection. So on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Two of his disciples, who both happened to be named Mary, which is pretty coincidental, but both were named Mary. I think maybe they were Italian because half of the Italians I know are named Mary. My grandmother's named Mary. My mom's named Mary. I have an aunt named Mary. It's just Mary. We've got a Mary Jane here who's in our church who's Italian. It's an Italian thing. We call people Mary. So maybe, I don't know, they weren't, they weren't Italian, by the way. It's just something. Every ethnicity likes to claim Jesus. So, you know, I think he was probably Italian. And so these two disciples that Jesus had named Mary, they showed up to the tomb. They knew that he would be stinking. And so to preserve his honor, they brought all these flowers and these perfumes to kind of mask the odor. The only problem was uh, when they got there, the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, there was a massive earthquake. And if you've only lived in Florida, you've never lived through an earthquake. I lived on the West Coast for a time and we would have earthquakes all the time. And they are absolutely terrifying. It's terrifying when the ground you're standing on starts to move and the stuff around you falls down. If you can't trust the earth beneath you, things get scary. But this says that there was a massive earthquake and an angel came down. And and the way that Matthew describes this angel, he says, the angel was bright like lightning. He didn't even say he was bright like lightning. He said the angels shone like lightning. And if you've ever seen the lightning light up the night sky, the angel was lighting up the daytime. And he said his clothes were as white as snow. And the angel came from heaven. He rolled away this massive boulder that blocked the tomb that Jesus was in. And then the angel sat on the stone. And I just kind of wonder what he was thinking like, look at like, this, like, look at, this is cool, right? And so he's sitting on the stone, and the guards saw it, and they completely lost their minds. The Bible actually says that. It says that um, they, were, they shook with fear, and they passed out. That's how, that's how scared they were. And so, so, so they shook with fear, and they passed out. This is where we're going to pick up the Bible here in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 5. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. So you see lightning. Imagine you're the women here. You see see an earthquake. It moves part of the mountain. The the guards will look like drop dead. An angel is shining like, like the snow, like lightning sitting on a boulder. And the angel says, do not be afraid. 
I personally would be afraid. I would be freaking out a lot, right? Like, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what you would do. I would have to maybe change my pants later. I don't know. That would be, that would freak me out, right? But the angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen just as he has said. Now, now this, this was perplexing to these women. This was, this was perplexing because the angel then told them, hey, hey, here's what, here's what I want you to do. Come look in the cave. See that it's empty. And so the ladies we see in other Gospels record this detail uh, in depth. And it says they looked into the cave and there was nothing there but angels in the folded linen that Jesus had over him when he was buried. And, uh, but, they, but that it was empty. And then the angel tells him that Jesus had gone to Galilee and he says, hey, you're, you're, you're going to see him there. We're going to pick up the story in verse 8. It says, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen. amen. Father, I do pray that you would bless the reading of your word. You would bless our hearts as we listen to the word. And we pray that you would make Jesus alive on the inside of us today. And that is that is that is that is my point today. And I'd like to put it up if you would. Jesus is alive, everybody. That's good news. Amen. That's good. news. Jesus is alive. But as you tell the world that Jesus is alive, those who do not know him or those who just grew up in church, maybe you just grew up religious, maybe you grew up knowing the story that Jesus did this, this thing at Easter. He died on a cross and we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter, Easter where he came back from the dead. It begs the question, if you've not studied it, go ahead and put it up. So what? So what? Jesus is alive. So what? What does that mean? I want to dig into that a little bit today. Amen? Amen? So let's study the scriptures here. There's a lot of debate about why. You can take it down. There's a lot of debate about why Jesus had to die. Why did Jesus go to the cross? There are volumes of academic work in trying to figure out why exactly Jesus had to die on the cross. There's so many theories. And if you're curious about this study of academics, of, of theology, um, you would go ahead and study what's called atonement theory. Karl Barth came along later and he called it reconciliation. And there are at least seven major theories on why Jesus had to go to the cross. There is like there is not agreement among theologians. And depending on where you grew up in church, Jesus had to go to the cross either because he was just a good teacher or God was under the control of his own wrath or devil owned something and God had to buy it back. And there's all these theories of the atonement, but there's something really interesting about the resurrection. Everybody is in full agreement of what the resurrection means. It's almost like God said, there's a part of this story I want you to focus on. It's that the father raised Jesus from the dead. 
There are things in this walk with Jesus that you will never fully understand. And you should try to. You should study. You should search the scriptures. You should try to learn and grow in your knowledge and understanding of Christ and what he accomplished on earth. But at the same point, we have to recognize that our God embraces mystery. And he leaves some things for us not to understand. And a sign of spiritual maturity is when you recognize there are things that are beyond your control that you will not understand, but you have to lump in a massive pile that says, I don't know anything, but God is good. But Jesus, amen, amen, amen. But Jesus said that his resurrection would be a sign in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. This is what Jesus said in his own words. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. This is this is this was the prophecy of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. He fully understood that his entire life was heading toward the cross. He lived his entire existence knowing the cross was ahead of him. He traveled through Galilee and then into Jerusalem on that donkey, understanding he had a date with the cross. This was the test, though, of who Jesus was. There have been great teachers among the Jews. There have been Jews who have been murdered by the Romans already. There have been great warriors among the Jewish people who came to set them free. Uh, there, 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 there have been those who would gather Israel to defeat their enemies in the past. But Jesus alone claimed that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. And that would prove that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus had claims about himself. Do not believe the lies that Jesus never said he was God. It's all over the scriptures. Jesus clearly knew who he was. And his disciples fully understood who he was. Jesus claimed the title of son of man and son of God. And the Jews clearly understood through their scriptures what that meant. Jesus came fully as man, fully as a human. He was though the son of man, which is a title throughout the history of Judaism. The son of man title was one who was sent by God over all of Israel. This title, son of man, was a, an office that was not likely taken. And if one were to claim it for himself, could be called a heretic, could be called a blasphemer. It was worthy of death to be called son of man if the rabbis and priests didn't agree that you were holding the office of son of man. But beyond that, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. This is even more blasphemous to those who were religious. You see, when Israel was out of Egypt, Israel was very scared. They thought maybe that Jesus wouldn't come through for them. They thought, I took this big step of faith, and yet I don't see you moving in my midst. I, I thought for certain this is what you told us to do, but now I'm not so sure you're going to help me. And God spoke to Israel. God, God used this title for Israel. He said, listen, Israel is the firstborn of the father. He told time and again, he told Israel, you are the son of God, the firstborn. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene and started claiming for himself that title, that was a title that earlier had been given to Israel. It freaked people out. But Jesus fully knew what he was saying, fully knew that he was 
the one sent by God to be God's son and Israel's savior. But Jesus said, as the son of man, he was fully human, as the son of God, fully God, that he would be put to death. And on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. He said, this is the sign I will give you. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. What they thought was maybe water from the rock again. They, they thought maybe bread from heaven. They thought maybe he put together a big army. And they, Jesus was always, always doubted, always diminished by his disciples because they lacked the ability of imagination to see that God was beyond anything that they had seen or heard in the past. You see, Jesus doesn't bring back the past. Jesus brings the future into the present. And so Jesus was there claiming, hey, I will be murdered, but on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. And this will be the sign you are given. Now, it's really hard to tell people a sign of who you are is something that you are incapable of doing. This was something beyond himself. This was something beyond his own gifts and abilities. This proved that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a special kind of theological, liturgical term. Messiah is the one, it's the deliverer of Israel. In, 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 the, in the Greek, it's the Christ. We call him Jesus Christ as if his last name was Christ. It wasn't. Uh, his name was Jesus. He was the Christ, the anointed one, the one who bore the anointing. The Christ is the one who has been anointed by God. He was the Christ, the anointed one by God, come for a special purpose. If you're here last week, we talked about, you remember, what, what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus. You remember that? We talked about how Jesus rode into Israel, rode into Jerusalem, seated on a, a donkey. Remember that? And they were having a parade, a victory parade for Jesus, even though he had not won the battle yet. Because Jesus has the victory parade before the battle is fought. And so here we have Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, even though Israel had not been delivered yet. But it was who he was. It was his identity. It was what he was called to do. And this is why so often when you hear Jesus, he calls you a name that you don't recognize. He might call you businessman. He might call you Victor. He might call you great father or great mother, even though you don't have children yet. Jesus is giving you the identity you have not seen for yourself, trusting that you will walk in it one day. Amen. But Jesus rode in on this donkey as a victor, and they knew that he was coming in as a conquering king. They understood the imagery. They understood the symbology. They understood what was being communicated by him coming in on a donkey, but they didn't understand the battle that would be waged that weekend. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus is how God wins the victory over the forces of evil. The death and resurrection of Jesus is how God wins the battle, wins the victory over the forces of evil. The, the cross, even though there's many, many theories on why he, exactly he was there, and what he actually accomplished there, it's, I think, because it is multifaceted. 
It is all of those theories and then some. There is more happening on the cross than we could have ever imagined with our human mind. You see, even the Romans, unknowing that they were part of this entire cosmic play being laid out before them, God used even the enemies of Jesus to bring forth God's plans. When Jesus was brought to the cross and crucified, He was nailed to that cross, and that cross was put upright, and He was hung up high, and His hands were stretched out wide, carrying the sin of the world, but above Him there was a sign, if you could put that up for me, Soana. There was a sign up there in three languages, the Bible says. It says, King of the Jews. And it was put in, it was, it was written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. It was written that all the major known languages of their world would know this is the king of the Jews. The Romans thought that they were making fun of Jesus. Oh, look, here's your king on a cross. This is someone who thinks they're a king. And they thought that they would do that to shame Jesus. They thought that they would make him look bad and somehow that would bring embarrassment to those who followed him. They thought that if we could make Jesus look scandalous and conquered and weak and broken, those who followed him would never associate themselves with him ever again. But they didn't recognize when they put him on that cross, they, that was actually the enthronement of Jesus. Nobody was expecting that, no matter how many times Jesus told them, I, when God, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men. And God is such a God, He'll use the devil to accomplish God's work in your life. He will use the plans and plots of your enemies to bring you into the victory. He will use those who plot against you to confuse themselves and through their own stupidity launch you into your purpose. God is a God of redemption who redeems and turns all things together for good for those who love Him and called according to His purpose. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. And amen. You can take it down. Thank you, Sawana. It's hard to see God when things are going wrong. Can you say amen to that? When you're in the struggle, when you don't know how you're going to get out of things. Even though Jesus told you, I will be with you. Even though you saw him do miracles in your life in the past. When you're in the struggle, somehow it's something like it feels like it kind of wore off, right? Like somehow you were able to move outside of his grace. I, I've had a revelation recently that Jesus is everything. God, there is nothing outside of God. Can you say amen? Everything that was created is inside of him. God is not like outside of time looking into our universe. He's not like the framers of our constitution. Many of them were deists and they believe that God kind of launched the earth like a basketball spinning on a finger and now he's outside of time looking in just hoping we work it out. No, that's not it at all. You see, there's nothing that has been created that's outside of God. Everything that's created is in him. We're all inside God looking looking for where He is in our life. We are all, time is within God. That's why God can step in at one moment and step out at another. And He doesn't understand time. He doesn't live according to time. He doesn't live in accord to minutes, hours, and seconds. Because as time is happening, it's happening inside of Him who does not change. 
while we grow and mature and we experience time, God doesn't. And one day we'll be with Him for eternity. But it seems that when we hit hard times, all of a sudden, our struggle, have you noticed, our struggle somehow has some sort of effect on God, it seems. That when we're having a bad time or a bad season or a bad day, even if we caused it, somehow our emotional state has blocked God from what's happening in our, in our lives. You hear what I'm saying right now? Like, like we have control over where God is and what point he's touching us. We become deists. Man, things were going good because God was here. And now since things aren't going well, God somehow has escaped. Not recognizing that God is in the midst of what's happening right now. Controlling everything in our lives for our maturity and our perfecting. And I, I think there's some people in the room today that you have been through some hard times and God was by your side. And when you got to the other side, you look back and you recognize that he was with you the entire way. And if it had not been for the grace of God, you would have not made it through that season. I can say amen to that myself. This is the God I know. And I try to hold on to those moments as I go through the trial, recognizing that Jesus, even though I don't feel him, even though I don't see him, even though I don't, I don't recognize his work, I know he's moving through all these circumstances. For many people, this is, this is just a Bible story. It's easy to read the Bible and see it as a work of fiction or just see it as some characters on a page, to see it as some sort of history book. I, I look through my family lineage. I like doing the ancestry thing, you know, and seeing where your people come from and I got about 12 generations back and you think, man, each of these little lines was somebody who lived an entire life, who went through hunger and went through trials, maybe crossed oceans and went through terrible, terrible brutality and went through wealth and went through happiness and went through sadness, lived an entire life. And here I am 300 years later. I think about all the generations who had been through so many rough things and it's easy just to remember them as names in a lineage, but each one is a is a story. It's part of the God story, part of my story, part of your story, part of the American story, part of what made us who we are today, even though we don't recognize it. And these people in the scriptures, they, they all had a story that we sometimes watch from afar and we dehumanize the story looking just what's in it for me as I read the Bible. Instead of really stepping into the story and seeing what is it God has for me here? Sometimes we just look what's in it for me, but today I want to try to humanize it a little bit more as we read the story. Jesus walked the earth and he was the perfect man. And he was not loving, he was love. He walked the earth as love. And he gathered some people to follow him who were nobodies. Not just nobodies, but people other people hated. Some people that were completely despised by the Romans. Others that were despised by the Jews. Some that were despised by the Jews and the Romans, and just normal people who never thought they would accomplish anything particularly great in life, and yet Jesus came and called them to be one of his trusted disciples. They walked with Jesus. They, they watched Jesus do miracles. Nobody had ever done miracles in their entire lives, yet Jesus was loving people in a way that healed bodies and healed families and healed towns. Brought people into the right mind and 
restored their body, restored their finances. Like the disciples got to walk around and witness the Messiah that, that, that Israel had been waiting for since the beginning of time. They got to watch Him breathe hope into Jews all over. They watched Him breathe life into Galileans who thought that the Gospel was not for them. They watched Him bridge the gap between the Jews and the Samaritans in a way that only love could. They loved this man because he valued them for who they were and they had a deep, passionate, agape love for Jesus like family and they watched him just be so good to people and they watched him in return be treated poorly everywhere they went. This guy that they knew, hey, this guy just wants to help people. I've never seen anybody so selfless in my whole life. He just wants to help people. He really wants our scriptures to come to life. He wants the promise to come to fulfillment. Yet everywhere we go, people are threatened by him and they try to murder him. And eventually they go to Israel. They go to Jerusalem where they know Jesus got enemies. And they're like, Jesus, we, we can't go there. This is not going to go well. And Jesus is like, I have to. There's parts that are going to come up that I don't even want to do, but my father has willed it for me. And they, I can just feel the grief that's on them as they go into Jerusalem during that day of feasting and festival with more Jews than normal. Not a day when there wouldn't be people there to notice, when it was packed with people who would see there's somebody claiming to be the Son of Man and the Son of God. I can imagine them saying, can we just wait a little longer? Can we just accomplish a little bit more? Can I just learn a little bit from you before this all happens? And Jesus is like, no. I've given up my will a long time ago. And they go and they watch this man that they love, the Son of God, the one who valued them, who empowered them, who called them by their real name, who cast the devil out of them and healed them. They watched him be lied on. They watched him be persecuted while he didn't defend himself once. They watched him be beaten and whipped. They watched him dragged all over Jerusalem like a common thief, even though he had never done anything wrong to anybody. Then they watched him get murdered. Then they watched his body hanging on a tree, the cross, at the gate of the town as some sort of mark of shame. And I can just imagine what that was like. I can imagine for Mary, mother of God, to watch her son. Can you imagine that happening to your son? Can you imagine that happening to your daughter? So defiled, so abused, so disrespected, so shamefully exploited for Rome's purposes because some priests got jealous. Oh, jealousy is such a wicked, wicked, evil, evil power. Divides churches, divides families, divides the plan of God. And here it was, conquered the one that they loved. I just think of the trauma that his disciples faced in that moment. I mean, we know the trauma that Jesus went through. We know the physical trauma. We understand the emotional trauma. We understand the spiritual trauma. We know the night before he's crying out to the Father, please, please, is there any other way I can do this? And we don't know exactly what he's asking God to skip. We don't know exactly what he's asking for God to pass from him. 
But he says, nevertheless, your will be done. I believe possibly he didn't want to go through the physical pain, but he's Jesus. He heals. He could mute the pain at any time if he operated in his calling. He also was going to be shamed and disrespected, but he had been disrespected before. We know that as he carried sin, that this would have an effect on how he was viewed. But I think at least partially Jesus cared so much about his disciples, he knew the trauma this would cause them. And the last thing Jesus wanted to have happen was to cause trauma for his disciples. I don't believe that's all of it. Don't get me wrong. But I do believe he cared enough for his people that he wanted to protect them. And this is, this is what we have to deal with in life. We go through trauma. Trauma happens to us. We go the way, because of sin, we experience trauma. We experience violence. We experience pain. And we experience death. Because people don't want to follow the way of Jesus. Because we want to choose our own way. We want to choose selfishness. We want to choose pride. We want to choose ourselves over those we're jealous of. We go through trauma, violence, pain, and death. But we have a choice. We have a choice. We could choose that. We could choose that avenue that the Jewish leaders chose. We could choose that avenue that the Romans chose. But we have another choice. We can choose forgiveness, peace, healing, and life. And this is always before us, these two competing choices, these two competing forces, these two competing paradigms, these two competing kingdoms are always our option. When the stress of life comes and the fallen nature of man is presented to us, are we going to go the way of trauma, of violence, of pain and death? Or when we face sin, are we going to go the way of forgiveness, peace, healing, and life? Let's just go back a little earlier in this story, if I could. We'll go back to the beginning, actually, all the way back to Genesis. And the Bible says that when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, without void. And it says the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. The earth was dark. It was darkness. And we know in spiritual terms, that means the presence of God was not here. As a matter of fact, at some point, we know that the Satan was sent down to earth and there was evil on the earth. Adam and Eve were born in, the, in a little pocket of this earth called the garden. And they're placed in this garden and they're given a choice. But they didn't understand how important this choice was. And instead of choosing the way of God, they chose sin and death. We read in the Bible another time that there was darkness. The Bible says that when Jesus was nailed to that cross and he breathed his last breath, quoting Psalm 22 as he was praying the Psalms his entire time of trial through his entire passion. He says, it is finished. And when he gave up his spirit, the Bible says that there was a great darkness that covered the earth again. This great darkness. But this time, where the first Adam chose death and sin, the new Adam 
chose forgiveness and life. He spoke in his last words, Father, forgive these people for they know not what they do. Jesus would not go to the grave with unforgiveness and bitterness. He chose life to the very end. But it makes me think not just about Jesus and his disciples like Mary. I think about a disciple named Judas. If you've not read the story, Judas was one of his 12 disciples. But Judas, time and again, the apostles are a little bitter. They're a little walking a little unforgiveness. Every time they talk about Judas, they talk about him as that rat, that dirty rat who betrayed Jesus. They don't ever let it slide. You see, forgiveness has not fully worked through their hearts yet. They're like, oh, there was James and John and Judas who betrayed Jesus. Don't, they say from the beginning, don't grow fond of this character. Don't, don't, don't make an altar for him in your house as you're reading the book, because when you get to the end, you're not going to like him. But let's just be honest for a second. Judas was a man just like we are. Judas had the same issues we have. And I, and I have to ask a little bit, because this is what I do for a living. i got to read the scriptures, and I can't just take them at face value. I gotta study and I gotta think and I gotta process these things. And I gotta wonder, Judas walked with Matthew and, and watched, watched Matthew's life get completely changed from tax collector to disciple. He watched, he watched Peter change from this guy who wanted to fight everybody to an apostle in the church. He watched Mary Magdalene get delivered and come become a chosen, dear disciple. Of Christ and Judas was there the whole time, and I wonder what what happened to Judas. I wonder what what caused him to be so bitter. What caused him to not be able to be transformed? Maybe maybe you know the Romans were violent oppressors. They were they were terrible. They were terrible to the Jews. And maybe 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 his family had been abused. Maybe maybe like me, he grew up in a really bad neighborhood where. There was always violence and, and there was always, um, uh, he always felt left out. He always felt somehow he didn't fit in and people let him know that he would never amount to anything. And maybe at some point in his life, he just gave up and just accepted that identity that he was nobody and he would never amount to anything. Maybe, maybe he grew up with a hard life and, and by the time he met Jesus, he had just figured out how to survive and didn't ever think he would ever be anything. Has anybody ever been like that? I grew up like that. This is, this is my story. I grew up in a really dysfunctional family, in a really poor neighborhood. I was homeless by 14, and, and we had, by that time in my life, there had been many times in my life that we didn't have electricity, we didn't have food, we, 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 just, we, we, we just didn't have stuff. And I, was living a life of crime, and I could say it was to get by, but it was just because I didn't obey laws, let's just be honest. And uh, I was just not a good person, doing bad things, not a trustworthy person. And I, at this point, lived in a really broke part of Delray back in that time and hated people who had money. I had a, I had a little hatred in my heart towards people who had what I never had. I, I didn't know then it was jealousy. I didn't know that I was bitter about my circumstances. I just know that I didn't like them and I didn't mind taunting them. I didn't mind picking on them. I didn't mind getting in fights with the rich kids. I didn't mind letting them know, you think that you're better than me, but you're not, and I'm going to prove it. But the thing is, they never thought that that was me. 
That was in my heart. And then one day, I had a mentor show up in my life. I had a mentor show up in my life, and he wasn't a full-time mentor, but he was a mentor nonetheless, and he showed up, and he showed me a life that I, 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 just, I had never seen before. It was a life of people who, like, I don't know, went to school and, and, and did homework and passed classes and uh, had jobs, right, and had parents who were employed. He had, showed me a life where, man, Carl, you actually, you know, you have a couple brain cells. If you actually put them to work, you could get somewhere in life. You know, you could actually be something. This thing that you're in right now doesn't have to be your future. But something was still at war on the inside of me. So, so something in me had a hard time with that. It was the trauma. It was the violence. It was the pain. And it was the, the death. It was, it was at war on the inside of me. You see, I had already given up on life. I already knew by my early teens who I was going to be, and I was fine with that. I was going to be a thug. I was going to be a criminal. I, I, this is all I would ever be. I'd be unemployed. I'd be on drugs. I'd be high. I'd be drunk. I would be the guy when someone's trying to get ahead, I would be cracking on them. I would be the center of attention. I would be the jokester. And people would make fun of those who get ahead. And I would be trying to get people to quit trying to get ahead because it's not going to work. Because that was the story in my head. I wonder, I wonder if Judas just didn't have the courage to say, maybe, maybe through this Messiah, I actually can change. Maybe, maybe through this Messiah, my future can be different. Maybe he was so broken inside, he could not grasp that possibility. Maybe, maybe. He had already given up on life, so the idea of trying brought the possibility of failure, and he was so broken he couldn't take failure. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just safer for Judas to sabotage anyone else's success than to see other people succeed while he failed. I don't know. I don't know, but I see myself in that. I see someone who had to make a choice at some point in their lives. And so, so the Bible says that Judas traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This tells me he was probably broke. Thought he would always be broke. And was just trying to come up however he was, however he could. Because even though Jesus was trying to bring him out of the poverty, the poverty didn't come out of him. And so he gave up his future. I see people give up their future for really stupid reasons. I see people give up their future for a boyfriend or girlfriend who abuses them. I see people give up their future because it's just easier to give up and be the bad boy or the bad girl. I see people give up their future because they're scared that people will make fun of them for trying. But they won't recognize it until it's too late. But Judas did betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we know the Bible says that they came and arrested Jesus. And Jesus had been crucified. And Jesus died. But before Jesus was resurrected, Judas committed suicide. The Bible says that he was hung and his guts spilled out over a field. This was before Jesus was ever resurrected. And I wonder, this isn't in the Bible, but I wonder, 
what if Judas had waited two more days? What if in his darkest, deepest pit of grief and anxiety, Judas had waited just two more days for the resurrection? Surely Jesus would have forgiven him. Surely Jesus would have restored him. Surely Jesus would have welcomed him home, set his mind right, filled him with the Spirit, and today his name would be something completely different. The difference two days can make. But he chose trauma. He chose violence. He chose pain. And ultimately he chose death. Now Jesus chose death as well. But Jesus wasn't going to stay in death. Jesus was passing through death. And he promised that on the third day, his father would raise him from the dead. That death changed all of history. And this is kind of the funny part. The Bible says we all have to pass through death. Be it naturally at the end of our lives. We're going to die, the Bible says, once to die and then the judgment. But for those of us who got our head on straight, we get to choose a death before we die. That's we, we choose to die to our own life. We get to choose to our own way. We get to choose to our own lordship. We die to ourselves and we give our lives to Jesus who raises us from the dead in the waters of baptism. And then when we experience the second death, it is not eternal because we live forever in Him. Can you say amen? Can you just thank Jesus for that? I want you to know, I want you to know, pain, Jesus suffered pain and anguish on that night before He was crucified. But I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying, not my will, your will be done. Jesus died long before He got to the cross. Jesus died to His will just like we have to. Jesus died to His choices long before He had to just like we do. And you might be in a dark season today and death is at the door. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we who die with Him will be raised with Him. Let me say it again. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we who die with Him are raised with Him. Can you say amen? You see, you see, hate is easy. Hope takes work. Hate is easy. Hope takes effort. Hate is easy. We can coast our way into hate. But hope, oh, you got to get set your mind on hope. You have to decide deep inside that you are going to choose hope. You are going to choose Jesus instead of the way of death. It's easy to give up on life when you are defeated. It's easy to say that I'm going to go the way of whatever happens and give up. Waking up and grinding every day is hard. Jesus had a hope that scared Judas. And I believe that Judas one day decided it's too good to be true. I'm just going to give up. But let me tell you, friend, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we who die with Him, in fact, are raised with Him.
It is a hope that is too good to be true, and yet it still is. The life that we have in the resurrected Jesus is so amazing, there's nothing that can compare. Can you say amen? The death of Jesus and His resurrection inaugurated God's kingdom on the earth. Like it is in heaven, it is now on earth. But it takes faith to see. Trauma, violence, pain, and death, they tell you to disconnect from your problems. They tell you to disconnect from your hurt. To cut off from the relationship. Gossip about that person. Lie. Divide. Act like it didn't happen while the grief still festers in your soul. Thank you, Solana. But you can judge. I want you to hear this. You can judge your spirituality based on the lowest point of your emotional maturity. You can judge a person's spirituality based on the lowest point of their emotional maturity. Do you have faith in God in those areas that you are fearful? Do you have faith in God in those areas that bring you pain? Do you have hope in God in those areas of your life that you don't want to go into? Mary loved Jesus. And the other Mary loved Jesus. And while Jesus was dead and the disciples were gone, her love would not let her disconnect from Christ. She goes to the tomb even in death. Mary begs the man that she thought that she went another gospel tells us that Mary begs the man that she thought was a gardener, "Where have you put his body?" Even in death she wanted to be near him. Tell me where you put the body of Jesus. And because of her refusal to disconnect from Jesus, even in the midst of His shame, she was the first one to see the risen Christ. Hear me. Because of the resurrection, we can find Jesus. Can you say amen? Because He has been risen from the dead, if we choose to stay connected, we get to find Him. Easter challenges us and asks us for a hope that we don't always feel. Can you say amen to that? There is a hope that is in Jesus Christ that we want to ignore. Easter challenges us to say, though things are dead, I serve a God who can bring the dead to life. Though these are dry bones, I have to believe that these bones can live again. Can you say amen? The disciples understood the Psalms as the prayer book of the Bible. They had it embedded in their spirit. And as they built the early church, they continued to pray the prayers that they were raised on. Praying the Psalms. Singing the songs. Believing God. And after persecution, we see that just like they persecuted Jesus, they began persecuting the disciples. They all were gathered together again, except. Judas, that dirty rat who betrayed Jesus, as the apostles want us to know him. But we see that we see that the disciples are together and they're having prayer meetings and they're getting persecuted and they continue to recite the Psalms. This is powerful. I want you to get this. They had memorized these Psalms all their life, but now that Jesus is raised from the dead and they receive the Holy Ghost, there's a new life on these scriptures. That wasn't before. We see in, in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that they had been persecuted. They were before the leaders of the synagogue and they were whipped. And 
they were released and they were told, don't talk about Jesus. And we read in verse 24, it says they got back together and they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And they just began to pray, O God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them. And then they began quoting the Psalms in a new way. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, they start quoting Psalm chapter 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? And the people, meaning the people of God, and the peoples devise futile things. The kings of this earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His Christ. You see, in that moment, they got this revelation. Jesus is the one they're talking about in, 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 in Psalm 2. This one, this, this thing that seemed like just they randomly would come against God in their futility. No, 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 no. They prophesied about, David was prophesying about Jesus. And then they went on, verse 27 of Acts chapter 4. They say, and they begin their own commentary for truly. In this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Band, if you would come up. I want you to understand this. If we talk about why did Jesus have to go to the cross and die? Herod and Pontius Pilate, as we cite in the Creed, they gather together, but they represent the kings of this world. And Jesus on the cross gathered the kings, the kings of this world and the people who thought they were the leaders of the Jews. He gathered all the evil forces of the world, but He gathered them together as the King of the Jews. And since the Jews were God's people, Jesus was the King of all people. And all evil was gathered around Jesus to put Him on the cross. Putting all their wrath and all their sin directed at Jesus. Jesus, high and lifted up, gathered all this evil together and brought it upon Himself. And He took it to death. As the King, He gathered lesser kings and said, I'll take all your evil on Me and I will destroy it. I will destroy its power. I will break its control over humanity. On that cross, as His subjects were there, speaking to Him, Him, King of the Jews, was ruling His kingdom and declaring the forgiveness of sins. And the disciples, on this day of persecution, figured it all out by the power of the Holy Ghost. They say in verse 27, Truly, in this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose had occurred. Verse 29, And now, Lord, now that they got that revelation, now that they knew what the Jews and the Romans were up to and how Jesus had defeated it all, the disciples said, And now, Lord, take note of their threats 
and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The, the, the disciples recognized what Acts, what, what Psalm 2 meant for them. Jesus may have died, but He's come back from the dead. And He reigns in power. If you're taking notes, write this down. The resurrection of Jesus means you can face whatever comes against you. You say amen. You don't have to choose trauma, violence, pain, and death. We have a greater weapon. Again, Acts chapter 4, they realize in the midst of persecutus, in persecution, they realize that they could make it through by the power of God. Judas didn't wait. Sometimes you just got to wait for Jesus, amen? Sometimes you, when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready to give up, you just got to wait on Jesus. Sometimes when you think that God has abandoned you, you got to recognize you are right in the middle of the battle God has for you to win. Don't run. Don't disconnect. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't choose death and sin. Choose forgiveness. Choose blessing. Choose life. They prayed for boldness. Again, these were people like me and you who were threatened. Their their disciple, their, their master was murdered. And they're threatening to murder them and they chose to pray. And they said, God, give us boldness to choose love. Oh, when you're in that hard season, I pray that you would pray this. Help me to choose love, Lord. And God answered their prayer with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because of the resurrection, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me say it again. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost of God. That's good news. Look at this in Acts 4.31. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. You'll find your greatest breakthrough in your greatest trials. If you pray to God that you would go through them in love. But you have to be brave, friend. The disciples were brave when they asked for boldness. Mary was brave when she asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus was brave when he told the Father, not my will, your will be done. And today, I'm asking for you to be brave. Choose forgiveness. Choose peace. Choose healing. Choose life. Jesus laid down His life out of love for the world rather than using heavenly or political power to force the world to obey Him. When you're at your wit's end and you're frustrated and you just want to make people do what you want, 
Remember Jesus chose love. Back to our original scripture here, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Jesus raised from the dead, he says, do not be afraid. Go take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Jesus always chose Galilee. because That's where the broken are. That's where the hurting are. That's where those who chose violence are. That's where those who could not choose life were. And today, we have that same choice. We can go the way of trauma, violence, pain, and death, or forgiveness, peace, healing, and life because of Jesus. The lights for me, if you would. Today, on this Easter Sunday, on this day that we celebrate the resurrection. We have a choice we get to make. And I pray that you would choose Jesus. That you would choose life. Stand with me if you would. Let's sing the name of Jesus, shall we? Thank you. 